Hey there, and welcome to the Pseudo Show, brought to you by the Destination Linux Network. Today, we'll look at Sunburst, the SolarWinds vulnerability that led to one of the biggest breaches in years. You'll get our take on the impact, as well as stop by the Productivity Corner. All that and more on this episode of the Pseudo Show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, your home for all things enterprise open source. I'm Eric, the IT guy, and joining me every single episode is my threat-detecting co-host, Brandon Johnson. How you doing today, buddy? Doing great, Eric, uh, except for some storage issues today, but all is well. How are you? Yeah, well, if it makes you feel any better, I managed to break DNS here in my house while working on the home lab, but you know, hey, what's technology without things breaking? Indeed. Today's episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. You can get started today with $100 free credit by going to do.co slash dln and creating an account. The DigitalOcean blog continues to be one of the best quality blogs out there. Recently, they published an article about how startups can use the DigitalOcean app platform to handle pretty much all of your technology needs. With a few clicks, you can deploy marketing websites and static websites. A couple more clicks, you can get a fully functioning blog. The app platform has has pre-built tools for managing internal communications from chat to RSS aggregators. Finally, take your production application out of your code repository and deploy it with just a few clicks as well. When you're just starting a new company, there is so much that needs to get done, from building the product to growing the business. Building your technology stack from scratch no longer needs to be one of those projects. If you want to give it a try and support the Pseudo Show all at the same time, just head on over to do.co slash dln and register for your $100 free credit, good for two months. And as always, thank you to DigitalOcean for being a sponsor of the Pseudo Show and the Destination Linux Network. Just before the end of the year, SolarWinds announced a supply chain attack which impacted thousands of their customers. It even included government agencies and some of the biggest names in tech that you see in the news every single day. Brandon, you and I almost recorded this episode at the end of 2020, but it still wasn't exactly clear who was involved or how deep the the impact went. In fact, one of the companies uh, was was Microsoft. And for a few days, it looked like Microsoft web interface for for Outlook might have been compromised. When in the end, a few weeks later, now that the dust has settled, Microsoft assures everyone that their applications are intact. Yeah. It was just their their SolarWinds monitoring suite of tools that uh, that was impacted. But still, I mean, that's 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 huge. I mean, Microsoft's monitoring system was was affected by this hack. That's a huge problem. Yeah. Also, it uh, looks like that the um, attackers were able to get access to Microsoft source code. Looks m- looks like Microsoft source code might have been liberated. We'll see. So so was, was that the <laughs> intent behind the attack? Was uh, were, were these people just trying to uh, open source Microsoft for them? <laughs> no, I don't I don't think so. If you're not familiar with SolarWinds, they're an enterprise software firm mostly focused on the Windows ecosystem. Their flagship product is a monitoring suite, but they've branched out into other areas, including security. They do have support for Linux, but last time I, I was in a SolarWinds shop, uh, the support wasn't all that great. So they, they definitely have a focus on on Windows. And I think uh, I think Cisco is a, is a big mm-hmm. focus of theirs as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I haven't I've never used SolarWinds. I've never I've never uh been exposed to their to their products mostly because I've only worked in Linux shops. We ended up using things like Nagios or Zabbix or other monitoring tools that mm-hmm. that compete in that space. 
So back in 2011, when I first started to be a Linux systems administrator, SolarWinds support for Linux was so rudimentary, it wasn't even worth having. So <laughs> so keep in mind, this was, oh my gosh, like a decade ago, but it was so bad back then that uh, the, the Linux team actually spun up a VM of our own and installed OpenNMS on it to monitor our Linux systems. That's how bad the integration was. Brandon, do you want to walk people through kind of what happened and, and how far this spread and some of the organizations that were impacted? Yeah. So net net what happened, uh, SolarWinds infrastructure handles their updates for their customers was compromised. The attacker, which is looking more and more like a state actor, uh, modified SolarWinds Orion software. So the compromised software, an update or a patch to Orion, was installed by over 15,000 customers. Uh, only a handful of organizations that installed the software were targeted. I, I think it's important to point out the fact that this wasn't just, this wasn't some small action taken by a couple of hackers. This, this is likely linked to a state actor, probably part of the intelligence arm of Russia itself. This wasn't just a software hack. No, this was a major security company, a, a company that claims that it, they have a deep connection with the IT community. And, and we'll, we'll talk about why that's ironic here in a minute. But we're, we're not talking about some third-party package or, or some open-source project where someone published their, their credentials. We're talking about a reputable security company. That's key factor number one, is we're talking a key security company got hacked. The second big thing to take away from this is that it wasn't a download site. It was the actual binaries. That means that this, that these threat actors got access to the build system. That That is, I mean, I'm stumbling mm -hmm. over my words here because that's just mind-blowing. You, you, of anything in modern infrastructure that needs to be secure, it needs to be your build pipeline because that literally gives you access to everything at least everything that makes the company money the the thing that makes yeah. it so that the company can exist and do business but that impacted the build system which then produced binaries which then companies like microsoft like organizations within the u.s government itself went out and downloaded and ran updates with to install in their own environment so now or branches of the government have been infected microsoft was infected i mean it's 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 unfathomable the reason why this attack happened was because of bad password practices and also probably exposing um, something like RDP and SSH over the internet. But that's a different story. The password was apparently SolarWinds123. That's just boggles my mind uh, that a system that is on the public internet is not secured and is using an extremely weak password. From the outside looking in, just based and based on the reporting, this uh, was a you know just a poor way of handling security, especially a company that claims to be a security company. And this was just a, a failure at all levels of their organization, from my perspective. I, I really hope that that's misinformation. I hope that that's that's a media hyping this up to get clicks. Yeah. But I mean, this incident was was picked up by FireEye, which is a huge IT security consulting and and management company. They actually found it because their own environment was hacked. Mm -hmm. 
because basically what this what this hack did was present a, a backdoor into any infected system that basically gives you full administrative access to any server that that Orion was installed on. That, that's that's huge. That's not compromising a port and you can see what's what's running on a web server. That's been granted administrative level access to the infrastructure of the Department of the Treasury or a FireEye or Microsoft source code repositories. That's that's no small feat. So I, I really, really hope that there was more to it than the media has has, uh, has released. <laughs> so I think the next thing to, to factor into this was the amount of resources and expertise that was utilized in carrying out this attack. Because both FireEye and SolarWinds and independent investigations have pointed to potential uh, intelligence community involvement out of Russia, which means that that this hacking group basically had full uh, unlimited resources and unlimited uh, expertise to draw upon to execute this. Yeah, so this just shows a new way of conducting war. Mm-hmm. I mean, for more or less, this was an attack, just wasn't like 9-11 where people died, but this was an attack. Mm-hmm. I mean, more or less, this was an attack. It just was on our IT infrastructure and not in our government and some of the largest uh, companies in the United States. Well, not just the U.S., but it it spread into the Middle East. It spread into into Europe. I mean, it was it was basically a global attack. Yeah, more or less. But like, they only targeted a handful of agencies and and companies. The companies that downloaded that update right. were vulnerable. And so, SolarWinds released updates in March and in August before this was discovered mm-hmm. in December. So, I mean, you're talking. You're talking six to nine months worth of organizations going out and and installing the, these broken updates. This is being has been installed everywhere. It's just now uh, discovered. Uh, SolarWinds has put out patches. Uh, FireEye has put out recommendations um, and mitigations so that you can uh, essentially handle this at your network, uh, prevent the attack from being utilized uh, if you still have it somewhere in your network. Why does this matter to podcasters and, and listeners of a podcast focus on enterprise open source? This just reinforces the need for these tools to be open sourced. The, this just reinforces the need for enterprise open source, period, especially on something as, as critical as a supply chain. Because it's, it's not just about the code. It's also about the distribution of that code. And that, that's why this attack was able to carry itself out on such a large scale. They attacked the supply chain itself. These binaries were distributed to end users. This this stuff really matters. Knowing where your software is coming from and ensuring that can be audited by third parties is critical. Yeah, that's that's very true, Eric. I mean, as much as I'd love everything to be be open source, I actually don't think uh, everything being open source or the or if SolarWinds solution was open source would have could have prevented this. I think it could have been easy easier to catch. Maybe it would have been caught in a little sooner. But we have this happen all the time in open source, mm-hmm. so I, I wouldn't necessarily say uh, that would solve it. I mean, like we've seen a uh, few years ago, the Linux Mint project with their ISOs being compromised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this wasn't targeted at enterprise users. I mean, in that in that example, I was targeted to users of Mint, which is typically not an enterprise-focused uh, solution or a government-focused solution. The, the risk in that situation isn't that the original, the original attackers would come after enterprise-scale companies. 
the the risk there is that someone from that team would either sell or some some other bad actor would basically reverse engineer the hack and then they'd basically have access to the entire network of compromised systems so it's not so much this particular mm-hmm. instance or this particular bad actor but it's it's a precedent for what for what yeah. doors it opens up for other people to come in and kind of capitalize on the same ordeal when i say that we need a, a stronger focus on enterprise open source I don't say that to mean that open source is immune because, I mean, Linux Mint and it seems like GitHub uh, repo hijacks are, are a dime a dozen these days, unfortunately. Over the f- past few years, one of the big things in the news, all, all these major leaks and, and stuff seem to be because people don't lock down their S3 buckets on AWS. So yeah. the open source will not make an entity immune to this kind of attack. But like you said, it could definitely have shortened the lifetime that this vulnerability was in the wild. Having multiple different people from different organizations and different backgrounds that have visibility and inspectability into a a project, whether it's a library or an application, would have drastically reduced the impact of this particular attack. Yeah, possibly would have. I mean, like a lot of software these days is just components of other software that other people have written. Like a, whether if that's just a programming language or all the way to all the library, several different libraries, like Node.js libraries, like NPN. Uh, actually, another great example of know where your software is coming from is uh, like a NPM making sure that you pick the correct version out of MPN that make sure it's the the official repo from the official maintainer, et cetera. So just make, making sure that all the components when you're developing software are secure. It's be it, it's not just like where your enterprise software is coming from. Like if it's coming from a vendor, you want to know where, you know, how they secure their development chain as well. And, and something else to consider was uh, there was news out of Docker not too long ago. Oh, I guess it's been a while now, but there was news out of Docker about uh, releasing verified repositories and promoting their their star rating system. So if, if you go out thinking you're getting an Nginx container, but it only has two stars, you might want to double check your spelling. So open source isn't immune, but not building all, all the software within um, a, a black box definitely gives you a few opportunities to add some more checks and balances mm-hmm. in, into your software development lifecycle before things go go public. So we, we kind of ragged on, on SolarWinds a little bit. If you work for SolarWinds and you listen to this episode, by all means, reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you about what, what happened from your perspective. But our kind of our goal for this episode, leaning into our call to action, was there's ways that open source and open source methodologies can help improve your, your supply chains. And one of those methodologies is reproducible builds. And this is something that you see a lot of projects in the community working towards, especially several Linux tri- distributions. Reproducible builds is this idea that you want to be able to reproduce an exact environment or an exact application anywhere. I should be able to take the same set of specifications and the same set of dependencies and build it on AWS as I do in a container on my desktop. And I should be able to get the same functionality, even down to the same checksum. Yeah. So we've lots of organizations are getting involved in this. Uh, that sponsored by the Software Freedom Conservancy. If you go to reproducible-builds.org, you can get a lot more information on how this is being handled. So we have projects affiliated with uh, with this from the Core Boot Project, Arch Linux, Fedora mm-hmm. Linux, and Debian, and SUSE. 
Also, uh, if you're a BSD fan, the BSD is involved in uh, the Reproducible Build Project. And of course, it's being sponsored by uh, various organizations, whether that's the Open Technology Fund or Google and various other organizations. Go check that out and uh, go support that. I mean, this has been a huge initiative in the open source community for years. And getting there is going to be extremely difficult. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's uh, not an easy feat uh, to have reproducible builds. Yeah, for sure. And we've brought, up, we've brought up software and services like this before that tackle these kinds of questions around open source software. In fact, one of the companies that we mentioned several times early on in the show was Tidelift. Tidelift is a company working on helping companies understand where those open source frameworks and libraries that they're using come from. Basically, Tidelift ensures you're getting official packages directly from the official sources from the developers themselves, and then in turn funding those projects' developers. Yeah, Tidelift has done a a really good job with uh, helping enterprises secure their supply chain with uh, the software that they use day-to-day for developing their applications, whether that's uh, Ruby applications or Node.js applications. There are libraries that Tidelift uh, supports and funds the maintainer and keeps those around. And you know that you're getting the official uh, source and the official binaries. The Linux Foundation recently put out a blog Pre, the, uh, talking about preventing supply chain attacks like solar winds. Like they talk about in this reproducible builds, how the industry needs to move towards that, the entire industry. So this is going to take a lot of time, a lot of money. We need to make sure that software that's being reused, whether that's open source libraries or uh, even clo- some closed or uh, libraries as well. We need to make sure that every piece, er- every part of the supply chain of building software is fully secure. We also need to ensure that we're participating in uh, standards groups, such as the Open Source Security Foundation, which is, of course, part of the uh, Linux Foundation, as well as uh, things like Implement Open Chain to have a check of where everything has come from. Oh, this has come from here. This has come from from this source. And that they have a check next to it. That is essentially the net of that. We have that blog linked in the show notes. I think it was a very good uh, summary on not just what happened, but also how to mitigate it, how to prevent something like this from happening again. One of the reasons this happened is attackers always take the easiest path. If they have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to crack a password or to or to get break into a system, they're not going to do it. They want the low-hanging fruit. Always make sure use good password hygiene. You know, close ports that you don't need on the internet. I know that's not a sure thing because you can still get into systems through other methods, but don't make it easy for the attacker. The the unfortunate truth about security is that you can never secure yourself against everything. There will always be some way for someone to break in somehow. It's just a question of resources. So the unfortunate truth about, about IT security is you just have to be just that much more secure than your neighbor before, so, like you said, someone will, will go, why would I spend all this time and effort over here when I can get this thing over here for even less effort? Yeah, just, just making sure you have better locks than your neighbor. And, uh... <laughs> and one of the unfortunate truths also was the fact that 
So many of our networks are designed to keep people out, but lack teeth when someone undesired is already inside. And that's that's what this Orion breach allowed was these bad actors were already on on these networks. And it may be some time before we discover what they got away with beyond the, the breach itself. Yeah, I, th- I think we won't know. I think they got more than than we want to know. <laughs> so, yeah, but now we yeah, need to know. True. <laughs> One of the things that it's all up to you is to vet and select vendors that have a proven track record of secure supply chains. I I work for Red Hat and I know our supply chain is solid. It's not invulnerable, but I think we do a really, really good job. At the beginning of my career, I worked for SUSE, Novell specifically, and they do a really good job of that as well. Frankly, uh, Microsoft has had a solid track record as well. As all for all the crap we like to give them for having a vulnerable operating system that's really susceptible to hackers. It's just because it's the most popular. I mean, let's be real, it's the it's the one with the biggest attack footprint. But mm-hmm. uh, just make sure that that you vet your vet your vendors. Uh, that or if you are building your own software, make sure to vet the libraries and uh, and other components that you're using to build it. Well, and and that's becoming more and more of a focus for some of these um, build tools. Look at GitHub and, and GitLab. There's both of them now have built-in tools to help run dependency scans or uh, SAS scans. Both of which look at the open source code within your application and basically do a scan or do a check for any known vulnerabilities in that open source library and report it back as if it was a vulnerability in your own application. I think just raising the general awareness will help a lot with this kind of a problem. And then including tools like like dependency scans within your application build process will will just take that a step further. And then rotate your passwords, please. Well, we discussed a pretty serious breach to do, one that could possibly have been prevented by following the right security practices. One of the easiest practices to follow is password management. That is why we're so excited to call Bitwarden one of our sponsors. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and business organizations to store, share, and sync sensitive data. Bitwarden was just voted as the number one password manager for 2021 by the U.S. News and World Report. Get started by going to bitwarden.com DLN. Bitwarden has some pretty amazing features, and one we have only mentioned in passing is the Vault Health Report. It's pretty applicable to today's uh, discussion because with a premium membership, you can get a report of the health of all your application passwords. This health report provides a listing of passwords that are reused for multiple websites, unsecured websites, and inactive two-factor authentication. Even more, this report will let you know which of your passwords may have been exposed and any sites you are registered to that have had recent data breaches. Today's ad read might not have been a coincidence, don't you think? (laughs) (laughs) For just $10 a year, Bitwarden is an amazing purchase to protect your passwords and data. The Vault Health Report will let you know which accounts need an updated password. Then you just go in, update the password, save it to Bitwarden, and go on about your day. Much easier process than having to rebuild your credit or regain control of your personal data after a breach. Just head on over to bitwarden.com slash DLN today to get started for free. And thank you to Bitwarden for being a sponsor of the Pseudo Show and the entire Destination Linux network. For today's productivity corner, Eric and I wanted to talk about a methodology that we've started adopting for planning for both work and the pseudo show. I've also adopted it for some for personal goals. It's called 306090. If you are transitioning to a new position or have huge projects to complete, this is a way 
a great way to help you focus your efforts. I've used this to help me change habits and set personal goals, as well as set goals for uh, new positions uh, that I've taken. The basic idea of this is to set goals that can be accomplished in 30, 60, 90 day increments. Eric, I introduced you to this methodology a couple months ago. Have you implemented this so far? So there's there's definitely a reason why you and I work together. It seems like uh, seems like some of the best ideas that I get come from you, and, and and vice versa. At the first of the year, I started to shift my focus at work. I'm not uh, as much of a generalist as I as I was before, and in fact, I'm focusing more on Rel, more on the platform products that go with it, be that Ansible Tower and, and Satellite, and some of the supporting systems as well. So I spend a lot of time working around Rel and, and the infrastructure now during the day. And uh, trying to make this this mental shift from we've got 20 some odd products to I need to really, really focus on these four or five. And I need processes in place to help me support those four products really, really, really well. So Brandon actually recommended a book by Michael D. Watkins called The First 90 Days. And it outlines this idea of of setting goals in 30 and 60 and 90 day increments. With the shift at work, I've actually been using the 30, 60, 90 plan to help make sure that by by the end of the first quarter that I'm in a rhythm, that I have all the right people on on my, uh, we used to call it speed dial, but nowadays, <laughs> I, I guess at the top of my contact list, and, and just being able to go into the rest of the year knowing that I've got all the tools that I need right there and hopefully set some good good routines in that. So what does that look like in practical terms? I'm I'm moving into the 60-day part of, of my 30, 60, 90 plan. The first 30 days uh, was I needed to get my RHCSA renewed. One of my objectives for my first 30 days was I needed to attend our company's sales kickoff. Another one was I needed to sit down with a lot of the other solutions architects on our team and just sit down and have a conversation and go, all right, so what are you doing? What do you need from me? How can I help? And so the 60-day the milestones is more about making sure that I have those conversations with people on a regular basis, but also preparing some content based on those meetings. <laughs> Brandon might be happy to know that some of the blog posts we've been talking about are actually a milestone in my 60-day phase of my 30, 60, 90 plan. So it's really helped me refocus and recenter my my perspective. And what's great is anytime someone asks me to do a task or anytime I look at a project that's that's been sitting on the back burner, I can look at it and go, does this help me achieve my 30, 60, 90? If not, then just leave it alone. Right now in this transition period, I need to really just focus on these objectives. But then if a project does fit into the plan, then I just need to find the right place for it. Eric, I'm glad that's uh, that you've adapted that. At Red Hat, it's... Uh... For anyone that's worked here or anyone that wants to work here, sometimes it can be difficult to get up to speed. And I know uh, right when you got on, it was um, drinking from a fire hose. And now that you're change, you know, essentially changing roles, it's been... Uh, it's a little bit smaller fire hose yeah. now. Yeah, small. Yeah, definitely smaller. Uh, still, still pretty powerful. And <laughs> well, and that doesn't just apply to Red Hat. I think that it applies to anyone in the industry. It, yeah. It's there's just so much. Things are constantly changing. I mean, six years ago, no one even knew what Kubernetes was, and now every single conversation we have seems to be focused around uh, around Kubernetes and containers. You know, we've we've talked a lot about how to plan your day or how to plan your week, but this this helps focus those. You know, I review my to do list about once a week and set expectations for what I want to get done in the next five business days. But now, 
by adding in this other piece of it, adding in this 30, 60, 90 perspective allows me to better fine tune what I plan to do on the day scale and on the week scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I, like I mentioned, I've also used this to change some personal habits, get back into shape, you know, have like a 30, 60, 90 on hitting certain weight goals or diet goals. Also putting uh, priorities on how I want to reorganize things, um, not just getting back into shape, but also reorganizing my office, getting back into uh, another methodology I, I've touched on before called GTD getting things done. Never really left it, just <laughs> not get utilized in the methodology, like getting my inbox down to under 100. <laughs> and I also use it at work. I mean, like at work, it's a good way of planning my quarter. What do I want to accomplish for the quarter? What I need to do to the next level? I think it's a fantastic methodology. It, it's not a replacement for, for GTD. It's a su- for me, it's a supplement to it because GTD is just a way of doing things day to day. 30, 60, 90 is a great way of planning out your quarter. And a lot of the methodologies that we've talked about in this segment, there, there needs to be a way to kind of put them all together because you've got 30, 60, 90 across the top. You've got getting things done, GTD to kind of help you on a, on a day-to-day basis. You've got Inbox Zero that helps you filter out the information. I mean, each one of these pieces that we've talked about just kind of ties together to help make you more productive. Because you take one person and you make them laser-focused on one goal for, for 90 days. I mean, it's amazing what you can accomplish in, in, in three months' time. But you take this and you apply it to your team. Then you've got like 12 people that are laser-focused on one objective for 90 days. It's amazing what you can get done. Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, your feedback is welcome. Head on over to pseudo.show slash discuss. If you'd like more of Brandon and I, you can find it over at pseudo.show and on social media at pseudoshowpodcast. You can catch more awesome content over at our network partners at destinationlinux.network. Brandon, anywhere else you'd like to send folks? You can follow me on Twitter at dbrandonjohnson or my website at open-tech.net. And you can follow me at ITGuyEric or on ITGuyEric.com. Remember, the Pseudo Show is your place for all things enterprise open source. Until next time. Three, two, hello? What the? <laughs> if you'd like more of Brandon and I, you can find it over on... on uh, like I haven't ever done this before. You, you haven't. Brandon, anywhere else you'd like to send folks? Need the script. <laughs> I don't remember exactly how I say it. <laughs> <laughs>